When you guys were growing up, did your Tupperware look like this? Anybody? Come on now, raise your hand. I know, I know, uh, yes. Is it still true today? Raise your hand. <laughs> still true? Okay, so, all right. Your Tupperware looks like this. Amen. When I was growing up, uh, my mama had a, 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 a cabinet full of old Cool Whip and various other types of plastic containers. And what was wonderful about that is that it was, what, free? Amen. It was free, but also, also, it came in handy because you didn't, you know, when you had company over and you wanted to send something home with somebody or somebody had a, a death in the family and you wanted to take a meal to them, you had a collection of instant Tupperware that you could just reach in and grab. And you didn't care if you lost it, right? It don't matter if it didn't come back, that, that you could just give it freely, right? You could give that away and you still had about a million left in the cabinet. Am I right? The title of today's message is Saved for a Purpose. The title of today's message is Saved for a Purpose. See, the plastic Cool Whip containers were what? Saved for a purpose, right? They weren't, they weren't thrown in the trash. Uh, they were preserved. They were uh, cleaned up. They were washed. They were put in the cabinet, and they were saved for what? A purpose, thank you. They were saved for a purpose. One of my favorite stories in the Gospels is hilarious. Every time I read this story, I laugh out loud. I'm not even kidding you. Okay, so I'm going to read it, and I probably won't laugh now because I've already told you I laugh, but here it is. It's found in Luke chapter 4, verses 38 and 39. I didn't put this on a slide. You'll just have to listen to the story. It's real short. All right, so Jesus doing ministry, he's out and about, he's got his disciples, and then it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 38, and Jesus arose and left the synagogue, which was church, basically. He left church, and he entered Simon's house, Peter. No, Simon Peter. He left the synagogue, and he entered into Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. Y'all got the picture? Jesus walks in with his entourage. He's, <laughs> Peter is there, and everyone is distraught because Peter's mother-in-law is what? She is not doing well. So, so listen. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to Jesus on her behalf. And he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose up and began to serve them. <laughs> Y'all don't find that funny. Okay. Jesus is like, we need some lunch. Oh, your mom's sick. Your mother-in-law's sick. I got this. <laughs> Be healed. She gets up and starts serving on them, right? She starts doing what good mother-in-laws do. They, they love to get in the kitchen and start doing stuff, right? And serving and helping people. And that's just hilarious to me, okay? Because Jesus is like, I mean, you know, it's like the closest to the most self-serving miracle that there is in the Bible, right? <laughs> Jesus is like, I'm hungry. Uh, let's, let's, let's heal this lady. Peter's mom was saved for a purpose. <laughs> That's funny, right? <laughs> You're like, Lord, sometimes your purpose is to serve. Am I right? 
Peter's mom was saved for a purpose. Now let's turn to our scripture again, uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, where it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The apostle is writing to the church and he has just He has just explained how Jesus humbled himself and gave up his his glory in heaven and came to the earth, humbled himself, became a servant, became obedient to the point of death on the cross, did his Father's will. He said, Lord, take this cup from me and not my will, but your will be done. Jesus obeyed the Father to the very bitter end. And brothers and sisters, it was a bitter end for Jesus on the cross. But that scripture also says, therefore God exalted him because he was obedient, because he lived the best human life that there could possibly be. God raised him up and God seated him in the heavenly realms where he now intercedes over all of creation and he is glorified and God has given him what we sang about earlier, the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is... Lord, therefore, my beloved. When there's a therefore, what do you have to ask? What's it? Come on, church. When there's a therefore, you got to ask, what's it? What's it there for? Why is it there? What's it there for? It's there because it's connecting what he's about to say from what he just said. What did he just say? He just said Jesus is Lord. He just said Jesus came to the earth humbling himself to the point of death on a cross for you. Therefore, my beloved, because Paul is like, I love y'all. I'm about to say something. I love you. Right? You got that? My beloved, he says, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your salvation. Work out your own salvation. See, you have a salvation. He's not saying work for your salvation, right? He's saying work it out. You have it already. I've just told you that. I've already told you about Jesus coming for you. Now work it out, right? Work it out. Work out your salvation. Have y'all seen these uh, pictures on uh, the internet, the before and after pictures? I've got an example up here. There he is. Before and after. Have y'all seen these pictures? They are at the same time, inspirational and depressing, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's like, good Lord, somebody can do it, right? Inspirational and depressing, before and after. Amazing transformation, right? Amazing in these pictures. Who are these people? That's what I want to know. Who are these people? Did this guy get a new body? Trick question. Did he get a new body? No. Write this, write this down. Working out revealed what was there all along. Working out revealed what was there all along. The man on the left is the same man on the right. And if we take this from the realm of working out in the gym and eating right to the realm of our spiritual lives, God has already given you salvation. 
You have already been saved. You will never be more righteous than you are right now in Christ. You will never have more from God than you have right now. It's already yours. That's why we're saved by faith. We receive it as a gift. It, we get it, right? He says, work out your salvation. You have the salvation, but you got to do what? You got to work it out. Because if you want to see the salvation that God has put into your life, you have to do some work on that. You have to work it out in your life. You have to let the salvation that he's already purchased for you, that he's already given for you, that he's already uh, perfected for you, you have to work it out in your life, right? You can't just sit around and eat spiritual potato chips. You've got to work it out. That's what Paul is saying. That's why he says, beloved, Right, Because he knows he's about to say something a little hard, and next week Joel gets to preach the next part, and it gets a little harder, <laughs> so I'll let him preach that. But, um, but he's saying, work it out. You got the salvation, now work it out, right? You were saved for a purpose. And now he tells us how to work it out. Just kind of briefly, let's go through these things. He says, you have obeyed, right? He says, uh, therefore you have always obeyed, now keep doing it. Keep obeying. The root word of obey is listen. Listen. That's the root of obey. To obey is to listen and to act on it. Okay, that's the extra part. It's to listen. You know, somebody say, you're not listening to me. What do they mean? You're not obeying, (laughs) right? And mama said, you're not listening to me. You're not obeying me. That's what God is saying here. He's saying saying that when we work out our salvation, when we work out our salvation, we listen, we obey the Lord. We do his will. We walk out the, the law of God. The Ten Commandments are not there as a burden for us. They are there as a gymnasium for us. They are there as a a bench press for us. They are there to help us learn to live the life that God created us to live in the first place, to put God first. That's the first command, right? To set aside one day in seven to get together with God's people and worship. That takes work, amen? Especially if you got little kids. God bless those of you with little kids. To get them to church on Sunday, hallelujah. Some of you don't have kids. Some of you just have yourself. And that's hard enough. (laughs) What does he say? With obedience. Working out means getting into the rhythms of God's grace. It means getting into the rhythms of loving God and loving neighbor. It means looking for opportunities to seek unity, as Paul has called this church to do. To seek unity, to seek peace, to humble yourself. right? To seek the interest of others instead of your own interest. That's what we talked about last week. To give grace. Why? Because you've received grace. That's what obedience is. Obedience is going to reveal what is already there. Obedience is going, it doesn't get you there. It reveals what is already there. He says, walk out in obedience. And then he says, whether I'm with you or whether I'm not with you. Right? Whether I'm in your presence, mom and dad are at home. Somebody's looking over my shoulder on the computer, or I'm by myself. I'm on a date, and I have, a, I have people around me, or I'm on a date, and we're on the couch by ourselves. No one knows we're here. 
Can I get real? Obedience is not just wanting to do the right thing. Obedience means that whether somebody is there to catch you and watch you or whether you are there by yourself, you obey. You walk in love. And how can we do this? We work it out, right? And we know we fail. We fail, we fail, we fail. There's, there's grace for you. This is what, it's salvation by grace, right? And so we work it out. We work it out and we get sore, amen? We were talking about being sore today. Ugh. I can hardly stand up right now because I've been go- I went to. The- I was like, "What's my application for this sermon?" I went to the gym, no, and and spiritually as well. So, obedience, integrity, right? Integrity, doing whether you're, somebody's watching or not. That's what he says uh, in verse twelve. Uh, not only in my presence, but also in my absence. It's right there in the in the text. Uh, integrity. So obey with integrity, and then he adds with fear and trembling. Now, wait a minute, Paul, you're losing me here. Fear and trembling. I thought we were saved by grace. I thought we had nothing to worry about. I thought our salvation was eternally secure and we had nothing to worry about. Well, yes. And the fact that you do have a complete salvation, the fact that you don't have to worry is why God says you can, you you should actually worship with fear and trembling. Why does he need to remind you of this? Because it's easy to take grace for granted. It's easy to take God's mercy for granted. It's easy to say, well, I, you know, God's going to forgive me for this, so I'm going to indulge. That is not a Christian attitude. Well, God, you know, I, I just can't overcome this temptation, and God's going to forgive me, so I'm going to do it anyway. I've been there. I think we're all tempted in that way a lot. But what does God call us to? He calls us to work out our salvation that we already have with fear and trembling. Now, what doesn't that mean? It doesn't mean that you have like a slave mentality. It doesn't mean that you you cower in fear. That is not what this is talking about. It's not a slavish fear. What is it? Let me give you an example, okay? Uh, When we first moved into our house, we had no appliances, and so we had to have an electrician come in and install appliances. And when the electrician was coming in to install the appliances, this is a very good electrician, um, very accomplished, very well respected. And we were all standing in the kitchen, and all of a sudden, pow! Huge, explosive, explosive pop right in the kitchen. We heard this sound, our ears were hurting, we smelled something burning. And there was a, a man who had just uh, touched the wrong wire with his pliers, sheepishly looking at us like my life just flashed before my eyes. And frankly, so did mine. <laughs> right? Thank God he was using insulated pliers. Right? And probably boots or something, some safety precaution. Why does he have safety precautions? Why is he using insulated pliers? That power was supposed to have been off, right? But when you deal with electricity, you work with fear and trembling. 
right? Now, now you, when, you, when you have a relationship with electricity and you know how to handle things, you can go in and you can work and you're not, you're not worried that it's going to get you because you know how to, you know, the power's off, you, you got it situated, but sometimes mistakes are made, right? Especially when we get confident. You get a little too confident. That's when it happens, right? Accidents happen when we get overconfident. Boy, there's a spiritual lesson. When we get when we take God's grace for granted is when God will let us get a little taste of his discipline. Not his punishment, but he disciplines those he what? Loves. He disciplines those he, he loves. Why? To teach us to obey and to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. <laughs> right? Not because we're afraid of God, but because God is holy. God is holy, holy. Don't forget, the God of the Old Testament is the same God who sent the Lord Jesus. He, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is holy, holy, holy. He is not your boyfriend. He is not your buddy. He is the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. And so when we seek to work out our salvation, when we seek to walk in obedience, we do so with fear and trembling. You were saved for a purpose, so work it out. Work it out. Obey God with integrity, with fear and trembling. So it's easy, right? Let me just write that down. Okay, pastor said, obey God. Okay, write this down. Do it with integrity. All right, I got to be more consistent. Okay, write this down. And what was the third one? Oh, fear and trembling. Right, I got to remember, God going to get you. If you, don't get, if you don't get right, God going to get you. I got my list. Right? And that's where the passage stops. No. There's a, there's a sentence here. This sentence is not over. Look at verse 13. It's actually the same sentence. He says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The sentence was not finished. Uh, The list is not complete until you know that it is not you who is responsible for the list. But it is really God who is working in you. Do you see that? In verse 13, for it is God who works in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Y'all, that is good news. Because now it is not a burden that I have to leave out the church with. Ah, oh, got to do this, I got to do it, got to go back to the gym, right? My spiritual gym, I got to go back. I literally had a shirt growing up that said God's gym. It was a cheesy Christian t-shirt and I'm kind of ashamed of it now. But I'm just, I'm just saying, it was my, that was my life. Um, but the list is not your burden. The list is a pleasure. The list is something that God is doing. Obedience, integrity, fear and trembling, humility, service, love, grace, kindness, Goodness, transformation, before and after. It's God's work. He's the one doing it. That's, what God, that's, what, that's why God says to us, for it is God who works in you. For is a causal conjunction. Come on, English students. It is a causal conjunction. That means that it's saying a purpose. It's saying a because. You work it out, brothers and sisters. God is not saying to you, sit on your behind, right? God is saying to you, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
because God is working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We cannot leave the gospel out of our obedience. We cannot leave the grace of God out of our obedience. Otherwise, we are just religious. Otherwise, we fall back into trying to get something from God, out of God, like he's a vending machine. God is working in you. It is not all up to you, brothers and sisters. God is working in you. In fact, you can only work out because God is working in. You can only work out because God is working in. His power makes your work effective. His power in you makes your work effective. Don't get it backwards. His power in you makes your work effective. Verse 13 connects our purpose in life with his power. Verse 13 connects our purpose in life to his power. And we shouldn't think of this as half and half. Oh yeah, God does his half and I do my half. I'm responsible for my half and God's responsible for his half. Now I know God's going to do his 50, but i got to do my 50. No. These concepts are not half and half. They are layered on top of one another. They are layered on top of one another. It's a causal relationship. Four. Right? That word is there. That's why we read the Bible. <laughs> That's why we have to understand the Bible. That's why we taught you comma all summer. So that you can learn how to read the Bible for yourself. For God is working in you. And that means that his work is an empowering grace. His work in you is an empowering grace. Look at what he says. He says both to will and to work. Y'all see that in verse 13? Both to will and to work. He says to will. What does that mean? To desire. He says, look, I know you don't have motivation. I know you're not motivated to obey. I know you're not motivated to get up at 6 o'clock and go for a run, spiritually speaking. Or maybe physically speaking. But what does God say? God says, I'm going to empower you and I'm going to transform your will. I'm going to transform your very desire. I am going to actually give you the desire. I'm going to give you the, the desire. We could not want to do good unless God had already renewed our hearts. That's why we pray. Why do we pray, Gary? Why do we pray? Because God is at work in us. And if God's not in, at work in us, then I don't need to pray. I mean, what do I even need God for? It's, my, it's up to me. And if you don't pray, you believe that. If your prayer life is, is a blank page, it's probably because you think it's all up to you, practically speaking. And I am so guilty of that. I am so guilty of that. Your prayer life reveals a lot about where your faith really is. God works in you a new desire. The Bible says over and over that we were dead in our sin. We were dead in our rebellion. There was no heartbeat. But God made us alive in the gospel of Christ. But God made a dead person alive. That is resurrection power. That is, we talked about it at youth group last night, that, that God's 
has, has saved your spirit and our bodies are not fully saved yet. They're waiting for the resurrection and we're groaning. God gives you a new desire and he actually gives you the work. Look, it says both to will and to work. So even your actions, even your doing, even your obedience, even your acts of love are God working that ability in you. Every good thing you've ever done is the grace of God. Every good thing that you've done is the grace of God working the ability in you. Every move you make is actually God's move. Layered on top of each other. His has the priority because he's got all the power. He's got all the redemption. Every person you love, every command you obey, every decision to serve is God's work in you. And you make the decision. Now, how does that work together? How does God work and I work? I don't know. But the Apostle Paul has no problem saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, actually. Right? No problem putting those two things together. So we just believe it. And we work it out. He gives you the desire. He gives you the ability. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says to another church in Corinth. Uh, I think if Philippi was his favorite church, Corinth was probably his not favorite church. But don't tell them I said that. But Paul, says, Paul says to Corinth, he says, by the, this is in chapter 15, verse 10. I have a slide. It says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He, he, get, he gets it. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Hallelujah. On the contrary, Paul writes, I work harder than anybody. What's he talking about? The first part, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul says, I work harder than any of them. Then he said, what does he say? Though it was not I, but through Christ in me, just like we sang a minute ago, but the grace of God that is in me. Brothers and sisters, you are like Peter's mom. Uh, you, you are like a cool whip tub. You have been saved for a purpose. And God wants you to work it out. God wants you to work it out and God wants you to believe that he's working in you to work it out. That means all of your actions, all of your responses to God's word are, have to be rooted in faith. You have to be rooted in faith. You have to be rooted in what Christ has already done for you, right? Already done. Jesus has already died for you. You are already righteous in his sight. Now, work it out. You're like Cool Whip. You've been saved for a purpose. I want to end by telling you a little, uh, summarizing uh, something from the prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, the prophet Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel has some crazy visions, y'all. <laughs> Am I right, Joel? Ezekiel has some crazy visions. And if you remember from, and if you want to go look and see where Ezekiel is, you can look at the Bible timeline over here. Um, Ezekiel prophesied during the exile. So Israel was taken away from the land and taken off into Babylon. And they were exiled from the land for a period of time. And Ezekiel was one of those prophets who went to them and, 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 and spoke God's word of hope and life and truth to them. And in Ezekiel chapter 37, 
Ezekiel is given a vision of a valley. So I want you to imagine, if you will, a valley, a great valley in the Middle East. Right? And in this valley, Ezekiel looks in the vision and he sees dry bones scattered everywhere. Human remains, bones, femurs, skulls, rib cages, dry bones everywhere scattered across the land. And this represents clearly God's people. <laughs> Because they have disobeyed him time and time again to the point that they were sent off into exile as discipline. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves so that they would turn back to him. And God asks Ezekiel in the vision, can these bones live? And I think Ezekiel's first thought was probably no. Because I've been preaching at him for a long time. But that's not what he says. He says, Lord, you know. He doesn't quite have enough faith to say yes. I love that. He says, Lord, you know. And so God says, preach to the bones. Preach to the bones. And so in the, in the vision, Ezekiel is, imagine, he's in this valley of dry bones and he begins to speak the word of hope. He begins to speak the word of a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He begins to speak about a God who forgives. He begins to speak about a God who has a purpose for your life, to be a light to the world. To take up the promise that God said, I will give you a land, I will, give you, uh, I will make you a great nation, I will make you a blessing to the whole world. And as Ezekiel is preaching the good news to these dry bones, the, there's this sound of a rattling. There's a sound of a rattling. And he looks and he sees the bones begin to come together. And he looks and he sees the bones begin to get flesh on them. And he looks, it's like Halloween, right? Amen. And he, he sees the bones uh, uh, beginning to have flesh on them and beginning to stand up. And he says at the end, he says, they lived and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. God took dead, dry bones and through the proclamation of the good news, through the proclamation of that word, life, an army with a purpose to do the good work that God has already planned for them to do. And y'all, that is you and me. If you have put your faith in Christ, if you have heard and received the message of salvation in Christ, you believed in him, you trust in him, then you have already been saved. And you've been saved for a purpose. You've been saved to do the good work that God has called us to do. They lived, they stood on their feet. A great army. And brothers and sisters, you are a great army. You're part of a great army that God is sending out into this world not to bring death and destruction, but to bring life and redemption and hope. 
Yes, to bring the message of God's truth. Yes, to bring the message of his impending judgment and the word of hope and the word of forgiveness and the word of grace and the word that can change lives. And not only that, but can change this community. Dead bones live. Let's work it out. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for saving us for a purpose. Lord, I pray that you would uh, give us the ability to believe in that, to believe that it's true and to work it out. Lord, work the will and the work in us. Lord, you know we struggle. You know we don't have what it takes. That's why we needed to be saved in the first place. And yet, Lord, you will empower us by your spirit. You will empower us You will renew our minds and our hearts, Lord. And I pray that right now in this room, you will pour out your spirit to renew the hearts of each person sitting here today. To give faith where there is no faith. To give boldness, to change, to to walk in obedience, to walk in integrity, to walk in fear and trembling. Lord, do that work in us now. And Lord, send us out from here with with that power that you have already given to us in our salvation, that we can work it out. Do that work in us, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.